When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to day 10 of the Eurocopa podcast, sponsored by Sling Latino. I'm your host, Nipun Chopra. Thanks for joining us again this evening. In order to review tonight's games, including the US men's national team win, I'm joined by my good friend Gabe Smith who's make, and Juan Aranga, who's making his second appearance on the Eurocopa podcast, and also the inimitable Chris Hennage. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me at 12.45 a.m. Uh, tonight. <laughs> so let's start with the Colombia game, guys, because we, we want to spend some time on the U.S. men's national team game. So, um, Gabe, I'll come to you first. The first thing to talk about is, uh, um, for as much as we talk about the stylistic elements of teams uh, such as uh, Colombia and Paraguay, I thought um, until the setting off, some of the most... Um, clear-cut goal-scoring chances came from set pieces, which kind of surprised me a little bit. Yeah, it, it was certainly a case to where uh, Paraguay was was making inroads uh, uh, against Colombia in the second half uh, through set pieces. You could see the vulnerabilities there for, for Colombia um, uh, quite a bit uh, in, in their man-marking on set pieces. Uh, you have to say that Paraguay was just more eager to get to the ball, uh, and that was quite evident uh, throughout the, the second half. Uh, but despite all of that, I, I mean, I think you could you could see uh, some bits of, of Paraguay getting back into the game even beyond that. Uh, there's no doubt that Colombia had um, uh, you know such a hold on the game uh, through that first half. Uh, but I was I was quite impressed with with Paraguay's tenacity, uh, their their ability to continue and be resilient uh, through the the course of the match when the odds looked against them. Uh, like I said, in such a dominating first half performance by Colombia. Uh, I have to to tip my cat, uh, tip my hat to them because uh, certainly made for a, a very fun game to watch there yeah. uh, over the last fifteen to twenty minutes. That was quite end to end. Chris, talk to me about Hamas because I, I thought this was uh, first of all he recovered from that that shoulder injury that's bothered him for a good part of five or six months in one form or the other and was exacerbated uh, in the game against the uh, U.S. last week. Uh, but I thought this was arguably one of his best performances in a year or so. He he was terrific, had a goal and, a, and an assist, and pretty much everything that uh, Colombia did came through him. Mm, I'm, I'm I'm always surprised it's no back injury with him when he plays for Colombia. Um, if you're part <laughs> because of he carries them, I see. What yeah, you, Chris, you're, you're <laughs> on fire today. Well done. <laughs> I I think the thing is with with him in Colombia, it's it's an entirely different vibe in the sense that at club level. Again, he, he's not the biggest star. 
at Real Madrid. He's he's not the leading light. Whereas for Colombia, you can just see in the in the demeanor of every player on that pitch, they feel such a confidence when he's on there, and they want to run everything through him. And I think again, he wears the number ten. That tells you everything you need to know about what he is as a player. And I think even to a degree, he he sees himself as a player. He's that creative fulcrum, and for a player like that to succeed, you do have to give them the ball consistently throughout the game. So they've got that opportunity to produce. And if they do make a mistake, they can rectify it quickly with another opportunity. And credit to Colombia, I think they they move the ball through him expertly. And when they do that and, and give it to him regularly, this is what he can do. He can produce goals in the way that he can produce the kind of performances that seem nigh unplayable uh, for opposition. And I think when you have Hamas Rodriguez on form, you have a team in Colombia realistically all the way in this competition because I think they do have a good balance in that sense. Yeah. Juan, I have to ask you more about Hamas also because I feel like when he does get involved in the play like he did today, he is he does go back to that top-level player that he was after the World Cup. So... There's a sense here for me, almost a redemption of Hamas uh, Rodriguez, because uh, the way things played out after his move to Real Madrid, initially he had a few good games, then he had injury troubles, then he was in and out of the team. Uh, Gareth Bale pretty much and Isco are ahead of him for a majority of uh, the season. And now we're at this point where he's he's become an afterthought. And this really is an opportunity, this tournament, for him to regain some of the standing that he had in the game, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Um, I mean, I was I wasn't watching the the American feed. I was watching uh, actually. I was listening to the to the Colombian commentary as well as the Brazilian feed from Global. And some, well, that, some that's points a good that thing, they one, because at one point in the American feed, we heard that's a flag for um, I, I don't remember who the player was in South. <laughs> well, that's, South. That's, that's, a flag. that's why I'm not. Well, that's why I'm not watching. Yeah, that's smart. That's, smart. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, one thing that they were mentioning on the, on the Brazilian feed, they were saying, uh, look at the wings, because that is where Colombia's weakness is. Um, you start seeing uh, Arias not really being able to to be as 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 um, much of a threat when when he's going out to really neutralize. Um, over on the opposite side, Diaz, Farid Diaz was also losing a lot of balls. Also, a player that I mean, really struggled big time today was Juan, uh, Juan Guillermo Cuadrado. Really had some major problems distributing the ball. He looked like you know he looked like another you know traffic cone when he was on defense. Mm-hmm. That's how bad he was today. I mean that I was looking and it's seeing dark was, contrast against uh, with the game against the U.S. where he was probably yeah. the best player on the pitch. Yeah. I, I, I mean, and going back to what you said about James, I mean after the match, James goes and says, "You know what? For these guys, I'd play lame." You know, I mean, literally saying, "You know, I'll, I'll, you have to." You have, I, I pretty much have to be without any legs to, to not play for the national team. Hmm. I mean, I mean, it, it was interesting also because you hear the, the, the Colombian commentary say, hey, so what if Zidane doesn't like you? We love you. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, so, so he does get that vibe coming in. He does get, I mean, I mean, Jose Peckerman has a lot to do with that because he is looked at as a father figure, as that calming force, that individual that really kind of grounds players. But at the same time, today wasn't his best day coaching he had a lot of problems as far as his substitutions were concerned Mm -hmm. he had some issues uh changing the scheme in the second half which you did start to see a lot more liberties for paraguay to get the ball in the middle and really cause some problems for colombia's defense uh so so it's a combination of a lot of things but one thing that i I mean i don't even know if the americans mentioned it 
is the amount of faith that Beckerman has in his under 23s. The three substitutions that came in, all under 23s. Mm. Guillermo Celis, Marlos Moreno, and also Jerry Mina, who are who are going to be on the Olympic team in Rio. So I mean, I mean, to to have that type of faith in kids that are 19, 20, 21 years old in situations like this against an opponent like Paraguay, that says a great deal about the confidence he has in these kids, and more importantly, the growth of the of the Colombian national team at the youth level, and how the, you start to see generations la- overlapping amongst each other. Gabe, that's interesting that Juan brings that up because. I thought uh, I kept thinking to myself that Colombia are a man up, but are hemorrhaging chances, and and the game was very open for the last, especially the last twenty twenty five minutes. I think you uh, hinted at that as well. So th- that might have been a reason for that, and I didn't realize that that the fact that all three subs made by Colombia were somewhat inexperienced players who will benefit from this uh, of experience, obviously, but their inexperience probably contributed to what was a way too open Colombian team uh, at 2 nothing and 2-1 up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and the players still on the pitch, uh, you know, looked, looked completely dead mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah, and that we, saw, we, saw, mm-hmm. we saw the, the late injury, too, with Zapata. Um, that, that certainly led to some, some issues there in the box for, uh, for Colombia towards the end. Um, uh, you know, I think there, there certainly should be questions raised towards that. Um, I think you obviously have to, to, to you know, focus in uh, right now, and in terms of in the second half, the game plan there uh, just really kind of took the, the the foot off the the, the throttle. So um, I, I, you know, I, I'm curious to see what, what kind of changes uh, take place. You're going to have an opportunity for Colombia for sure uh, with already advancing. Uh, you know, in there for uh, you know, as Juan was mentioning in terms of some of the youth, uh, even a better chance to to really embed this youth in this team uh, in that third game then. Uh, which for the most part is, is going to at least be meaningless in terms of them advancing. Uh, obviously, you could still have maybe a potential impact depending on goal differential then. Um, well, actually, no, it won't be. So, so I mean, they're going to be right there with the, the first seed. So I, I, I think at, at just kind of to Juan's point there, it's going, to be, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of changes are made. Uh, and, and you really want to see then a fresh Columbia squad uh, go into that quarterfinal at that point. And it's a good time to get Hamas some rest. Yeah. Uh, I mean, because right. Cause right now... The way things are looking depends on how things play out tomorrow. Colombia, despite being in first place, might end up still playing Brazil in the second round, the mm-hmm. way things are going. And if Peru also is, is able to, to, um, to, to be successful on their end as well. So, I mean, it, it could be an interesting um, play or how, how things play out in, in, in Group B. And that'll be kind of more telling to see what happens as far as the, as far as the fate of the teams in Group A as well. Yeah, Chris, I think that's what I wanted to ask you about. So for me, uh, I think from my perspective, Colombia have shown, uh, have overachieved, I think, from my perspective. I think we all, I did feel that they would have six points at this point. But what they've been able to show are two different tactical systems. Uh, they pressed from the forwards against the U.S. Today, their press came from midfield and focused on the wings. Uh, they've been able to show... Um, good play from a different set of players. On uh, against the U.S., it was Cuadrado who was the star today. It was Hamas by far, uh, and Baca has been consistent in both games. Defensively, they were better against the U.S. They kind of struggled a little bit today. But my point is, they have been able to show multiple things, which convinces me that they probably are, if not out of Argentina, uh, outside of Argentina, probably favorites in this tournament. Mm, and I, I think if you look at the the World Cup in Brazil, one of the 
lasting images for me at least was seeing <clears throat> the team celebrate with that infamous dance that they all produced. Right. To me, that that almost symbolises the togetherness of this lot. If you look at that squad list, I wouldn't say there's a wealth of players playing at elite level clubs. Mm-hmm. There's a sprinkling of them. And, and to me, I think that's just enough for them to succeed and just enough to have those few piano players to really dictate things alongside the piano carriers. The, the thing that's impressed me most about Colombia personally is, is that US game. Yeah. And I say that because it was such clever game management in the sense that they did kind of push quite hard early on. They got the goals they needed and then they just took their foot off the gas. Right. But they managed the game very well. It, it, they never felt or they never looked rather in danger of losing that game or, or anything like that. And certainly we can lament the US and their performance during that game. It wasn't as good as it needed to be, especially in an attacking sense. I also think you can give Colombia credit for being able to essentially race ahead and then know that they could take things a little bit slower and, and conserve energy a bit for that second game against Paraguay, which on the surface, when you contextualise it with their opener against Costa Rica, did look like it would be a difficult game for them. Yeah. Juan, we're going to uh, transition to the USA win here. With of course, four, yeah. Four nothing win. Really exciting to watch. Uh, Gabe and I watched it together at the Union Jack Pub here in Indianapolis. Um, exciting, exciting game, especially after the embarrassment that was the Columbia game. But uh, let me ask you about Costa Rica really quick. Um, they've played this five-three-two system for a while now. They played it in the World Cup. They they've played it in qualifying. Uh, they've switched to sometimes three five two, but it's pretty much a five three two. And for me, when you have the personnel they do, uh, sometimes that five three two becomes a five five or a f- five one four, and it, it, it's it's kind of frustrating for me to watch because there is talent on that team, but I feel like they have been in some ways hampered by this formation they're playing. Well, you you don't have a lot of the same pieces playing in, in, and having great form right now. If you look at how Costa Rica have been, I mean, if you want to use that that uh, comparison, I mean, you, you haven't had that driver that mm-hmm. you had in, in Jorge Luis Pinto. Right. Um, I mean, what, one of the things that, that that happened after Pinto left, you really didn't see the implementation or the execution of that 5-3. I mean, because another team that used it in the World Cup was Mexico under mm-hmm. Miguel Herrera. So, I mean, I mean right. it's, it's, still, it's still a formation that's being used quite a bit. And, uh, you know, when, when you need to have three central defenders, your wingbacks are the ones that have to start to try and, and, and create on the wings. They're the ones that have to go be that first bit of off force trying to open things up and trying to keep that uh, that defense honest, especially on the yeah. counterattacks. The yeah, I think that's a good is, point because like yeah. with, with Mexico, when you have Marquez who sits in front of those three, you have an yeah. extra player who, who's who's, you know, in some ways – a limited role, but a very important role. Whereas with Costa Rica, that that base is not there. Well, yeah, it's not there. I mean, I mean, you know, obviously Costa Rica don't have a, a Miguel Layun going down the left yeah. and really being able to race and, and, and create some pace and, and mismatches, you know, and be able to defend fairly decently. Um, that's the main issue with Costa Rica. You don't have those dynamic players. You, yes, you do have Celso Borges in the middle, and he does tend to get lost in that formation. Uh, Marc Ureña up top, you know, Matarita over on the left, really, okay. You know, really, a lot of things that are going like that. But also remember that they're still going through the transition with Machillo Ramirez. Mm-hmm. And Machillo is known as being ultra-defensive, so you have an, a defensive um, formation with an ultra defensive coach, so really you you drop back too much. 
Gabe, that's the main issue. So, Gabe, let's let's talk about the U.S. team now because there's so much to discuss here. Let's first of all start with the fact that so. As I've said on the podcast, and you've known me for a few years, so I I always try to strip things down to very the least variables. And what Klinsman gave us gave me and reductionists like me was was uh, an advantage because he played exactly the same team, pretty much the same tactical system he did against Colombia in this game, uh, same personnel, and the performances could have been couldn't have been further apart. The result was way apart i know there was a difference in the opposition but tell me how this happened with exactly the same players and exactly the same tactical system yeah i thought it was it was quite interesting i, I even um about an hour ago before coming on i saw um a uh, tweet there by ives galicep who had mentioned that this is the first time uh that usa has uh featured the same same starting lineup in two consecutive games uh, since the World Cup 2014 opener against Ghana. Wow, uh, and that's so, ballsy after that. Uh, you know, Colombia exactly, and and it's you know it's interesting. You know, obviously, it's it, this is a team that hasn't really seen. Um, you know, hasn't really been able to build the chemistry. Uh, it, you know, it, it, you already have a disadvantage when you're when you're talking about um, uh, international soccer uh, compared to to club. When you get then the repetitive nature of week in week out training with your with your your team there. Uh, being able to know exactly where players are, uh, with the way that Klinsman has has um, you know, implemented then the training sessions when they are together, uh, when they've been playing in, in either the World Cup qualifiers or friendlies, uh, you know he's been doing a lot of tinkering, and and I mm-hmm. think that um, you know it, it should hopefully in the long term give him a, the best idea of what his uh, ideal team is, what his strengths and weaknesses with this squad is. Uh, but it's also going to obviously have the disadvantages uh, of the fact that you're not going to have the players really having a, a firm understanding of everyone. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I'm not going to kid you in thinking that all of a sudden, uh, you know, two games in a row and the players know exactly where they're going to be. Uh, but I, I think just just a little bit of, of removing some of those variables um, certainly could help out. And I, I think the, the, the biggest thing from this match um, you know, USA. We can't we can underestimate the ability of USA when their back is against the wall. Uh, that tends to be when their better performances uh, come to light. And and I think you you really see then in terms of kind of some of the storylines that came out of this game. Uh, it's going to certainly be the veterans. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it was, it was interesting to see the lead up into Copa America uh, with the United States. Uh, such a focus on the youth. Some of the the, the new players that were coming in. And it happens to be that in the most critical moment for USA, when it could be an elimination game, that you have then the likes of uh, Jermaine Jones and Clint Dempsey uh, are, are the two names that are held it the most. So uh, it, it's, uh, it, it was an impressive performance in that, again, they, they did what they needed to do. In fact, more so, I, I was quite surprised after that initial six minutes that yeah. uh, if you would have told me that USA would have put four goals against Costa Rica after seeing that first minutes, first six minutes, I would have probably called you uh, quite crazy there. So, um, like I said, it, it, impressive, impressive given uh, all, all the circumstances there, uh, but certainly a head scratcher as to uh, to the, the, the quite the uh, the differences in play that we saw from uh, uh, U.S. against Costa Rica uh, than uh, what we saw against Colombia. Yeah, Chris, let's continue to unpack this then. So, when we talked a couple of days ago, Karthik talked to us then. And we were all very critical of Klinsman, and I think it was fair to be critical of him then. And we felt that 
collectively that there should be some changes, possibly in the tactical system, possibly the inclusion of Nagby, um, you know, playing Bobby Wood through the middle. And he didn't do any of that and stuck to his guns and it worked to a charm. So how much of this is pure luck and how much of this should we be looking at Klitsman and saying, okay, fair enough, he, he knew something all along? I think the answer to that question really does lie in the middle of the two poles in the sense that, yes, again, he, he plays Clint Dempsey and he deserves uh, credit for sticking with the same team that, that did essentially lose to Colombia. I also think he get think he, think he, I also thought, he tries to say, he got quite fortunate with the, the opening penalty decision. Mm. Yes, there's a touch there, but it's very soft. It's very exaggerated. I think even the most ardent uh, U.S. men's national team fan will concede that it is a soft penalty to concede. After that, again, it, it seems like the the game shifts when Bobby Wood goes through the middle, which for me is the only position you can play Bobby Wood. He shouldn't be out on the wing. I, I don't think he's a winger. I think everything about him says that he's a central player. Yes, he's quick, but that doesn't mean he should be anywhere near the touchline. Um, and I think that's the problem, is that even now, even with a comfortable win in the books, there is an element of this performance of this result that feels like it's fortune, that feels like actually he stumbled onto success. He's the broken clock that's been right twice a day. And <clears throat> again, personally, the fact that even Nagby and Pulisic don't come on. You're up 3-0. It's, it's comfortable. I think Costa Rica had given up for the most part in the second half. Bring on those two youngsters. Give them an opportunity to show what they can do. Let them have a little bit of freedom, if you like, where they're not chasing a game or they're not having to try and turn a game around. Let them play when there's no pressure on them and let's see what they can really do. And yet he goes for uh, for kind of old reliable, old faithful in, in Kyle Beckham and in Wando and, and Zussi, who credit to him, Zussi at least found the net. I, I'm just still... Again, maybe it's a, a different perspective being European. I, I can't help but always find the scratch on the coffee table with Jurgen Klinsmann as pretty as it looks. But Chris, I mean, and, 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 go ahead, Juan. No, and, and you also have to look at the opponent too. I mean, um, seeing how Costa Rica played uh, a man down, obviously uh, after you know after Wa- Austin ends up getting sent off on against Paraguay. I mean, it's more indicative of who the rival was—a rival that really wasn't going to go on the attack. You, you thought that he was that that Costa Rica, at least with Joel Campbell, who had been, you know, a boogeyman of sorts as far as the you know, as far as the U.S. national team in the past couple of matches. Uh, he was going to be a difference maker, but he absolutely wasn't. I mean, it's a combination too of Costa Rica just absolutely botching every single assignment as well. Uh, so I mean, you got to look at it from that perspective. I, I think the rubber starts meeting the road with the U.S. with that third match uh, against Paraguay. I think that's where you're going to start seeing the difference. And obviously, if you start to see how Paraguay played a man down, I, th- I think that's more indicative of how the the style of play is going to complicate the U.S. Uh, more than what Costa Rica was able to. I mean, in the second half, also remember that Costa Rica did hold the ball a lot more. They really didn't produce much with it, but still, the U.S. were able to just drop back and wait, and obviously that's when Grant, um, when Susi was able to get the, the fourth and final goal. But I, let, let's 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 look at the opponent first, and then start seeing what, what can can happen, because I, I think there, there could be some more said there. But I, I think that's... I think what, go ahead, go ahead, Chris. Sorry, I was, I was going to say, I think what, what you have to remember as well is with Costa Rica... 
they're missing Kilo Navas, who for me is is huge. It, no disrespect to the, the goalkeeper that replaced him, uh, Pemberton. Yeah. But four shots on target, four goals. I think that gives you the most damning evaluation of how his performance was. Equally, uh, Kendall Watson, who Napoon, you rightly touched on in the last pod, he was a huge miss. Now, in fairness, his absence was, was self-imposed through his own stupidity. Mm-hmm. Kelo Navas is just unfortunate. But for a country like Costa Rica, with a population of, I think, about 4.8 million, still kind of, I think, finding its feet in international football, there's not that wealth of talent. I think Juan touched on it himself with going through the, the striking options, like Marco Urena, who he's a middle-of-the-road striker in Denmark, to be to be brutally honest. He gets about one in four, give or take. And when he walks off injured, you're, you're starting again to really scrape the barrel of this squad. And, and I think you can give the US credit because, again, you can, you can only beat what's in front of you. And it would be, I think, otherwise. I also think you have to contextualize it with the, the situation that Costa Rica found themselves in, which is one that saw them without key players. Okay, well, here this is what my problem with this whole thing is. Because when I look at the arguments that are made by all of us with Klinsmann, um, I feel like when things go bad, it is more his fault than any other extenuating factor. But when things go well, it is the extenuating factors first. For example... We are talking about the level of Costa Rica today, but we're not talking about the level of Colombia when Colombia played the U.S. We, we're not talking about the fact that Colombia, uh, the U.S. losing to Colombia two nothing. Was, I, mean, I, I don't know. I don't know who's saying that, but but I mean in Colombia, I mean, we, talked about, we talked about it on the podcast. We talked on yeah, yeah we talked about it on the podcast yeah. itself. So, you know, yeah. Colombia is a very good team. So when the U.S. lost to Colombia, very few people were saying, "Okay, fair enough. This is a very good team." And we got out of the group. Uh, we got, oh, um, we finished what was the toughest game in this group with a two-goal deficit. We move on. Getting second in the group was always the goal. We've smashed Costa Rica. So for me, it, it just that sort of imbalance in the analysis is not fair. I think. Well, I mean, we're not complete yet. I mean, I mean, we have to see what happens with Paraguay. I mean, because let's say let, 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 just just to be devil's advocate here, what 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 if they lose to Paraguay? Right. What happens to that? What happens to that that four nil win, and, and you're still out of the tournament? And vice versa. Okay, fine. Let's say they do win, and they win convincingly as well. You know, is that now the match that really helps the U.S. take off and start at least saying, hey, you know what, we could probably knock one of these guys off, and next thing you know, we're in semifinals. You know, trying to see if we can get into the final. So I mean, so so I, I think I think it's not fair. To be able, to, where it's not fair, it, it, is to look at it, it, what's been done up to now, mm-hmm. and let's just get a better analysis of what goes on when Paraguay plays. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's that's where 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 you really start seeing the U.S. being tested, because both teams are actually fighting for something. Because let's be honest, whoever loses, or even if the U.S. draw, they end up qualifying. Right. So. So I mean, there, there's something at stake here. I mean, it's not just getting a good start in 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 a group. It's being able to play for your tournament life. Yeah, maybe maybe that's the way to analyze it, Juan. Maybe it is something that we should hold off on uh, until we get to the Paraguay game. But the thing, Chris, for me is that if if the U.S. has to get, uh, will get at least a draw, which will see them through unless something crazy happens uh, in the Colombia uh, game. Um, if they have to do that. 
I think the, the role of Jermaine Jones has become even more apparent. He, he was probably the man of the match for me today. Uh, and we talk, touched on him a little bit in the preview. So what did you think of Jermaine Jones's performance today? I think it continued the, the theme of his season, which is moving him into an attacking position has actually benefited him massively. Now, again, he's talked about the fact he played as a striker when he was a kid. So perhaps we shouldn't be terribly surprised that he's finding form in this position. It's an interesting switch. I, I think you look at it and say for the short term it's brilliant because he's contributing goals, he's contributing things in the final third. I think he gives them an experience, a guile, he knows how to win fouls. I thought he did that a few times today where he just kind of knew when to put his body in the way. He knew when to hit the deck, that kind of thing. Just little sort of nuances you, you gain and, and understand as you get older in this game and longer in the tooth. For the long-term projection of things... I can't picture him in Russia in 2018. That's perhaps my, my little caveat with that is, is there a long-term future for Jermaine Jones? Because I think as an international coach, you always have to be looking a few miles down the road as, as much as you are on the pavement. Would you, think, would you think Nagby fills that role? Definitely. I, th- I think that's a fantastic show. I think Nagby has potentially a lot of the things that J- Jermaine Jones has now and also the kind of athleticism that defined Jones's career when he was at Schalke and in Germany, and even briefly in the Premier League with Blackburn. <clears throat> it's just whether you can get the two to kind of sit down and work together. This is something that, again, I can't claim to know whether it happens, but I would love to see from the US team is players almost kind of pairing up with each other and learning, and, and to borrow the kind of football manager analogy, having them tutoring each other. Um, it's something that's central to, to right. that game if we can deviate slightly for a second. But I, I think it could be a fantastic way to to not only transition new players into the squad, but I also think keep a continuity in the style and and the roles in the, the team. Because, I mean, you look at Nagby as a great example. He plays out wide for a good portion of, of last season in Major League Soccer. And then Caleb Porter shifts him inside and his season completely changes. He goes up a few gears. And he's part of, I would say, the most dynamic midfield in Major League Soccer last season. And they win MLS Cup off the back of it, deservedly so, might I add. It's things like that, just these little subtle changes that could actually elevate a player's game. And I think for someone like Nagby as a, as a case study, to learn from Jermaine Jones, for all his critics, that's going to be a fantastic experience for him. And, and it's something I hope, would hope Jürgen Klinsmann has identified and will look to do moving forward, if he's not doing it already. Hmm. Juan, we got a question on Twitter uh, from Patrick David, uh, I hope I'm saying that correctly. And he asked something that I've been wondering about for a long time. It won't happen, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Uh, the question is, would Jürgen consider Yedlin in midfield? Seems like he'd fit better there, but I could be wrong. Uh, I've spoken about my absolute inability to appreciate Yedlin as a defender. I think he has not improved as a defender since the World Cup, contrary to many. Um, so what do you think about that? If... if, if uh, if Klinsman were to switch to a four-four-two, which a lot of people want him to, surely using Yedlin in that advanced role would be of benefit. One, you have to see how he was at Sunderland. He improved a little bit as as far as defense was concerned. Uh, to me, he was you know a great you know really fast guy that can really do some some damage if you were able to have a little bit of control. Um, defensively, that's where his liabilities were. He's gotten a little bit better from that perspective. Uh, could he play at the seven? Could he play at the eight? Even you know, playing in an inverted role on the opposite side of the pitch? Sure. I mean, I, it would be a better idea to, to be able to involve him a little bit more and get him more 
uh, actually get him deeper into you know into a situation where he can cross balls uh, from the line, run to the line, be able to create some some stuff. But again, my big problem is not having enough space, and and his his technique or or his 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 uh, ability to really dribble at times he probably gets a little bit too carried away and, and really can't control the ball too well. And I think that's just a process that he'll, he'll start continuing to improve. Although he's 23, he's already an older footballer and um, he needs to, he, he doesn't have that, but still he could cause some problems for, for the U S especially if he's playing down the wings. I, I believe so at least. Mm. Chris, uh, one more thing that I want to ask you about is uh, Michael Bradley. Uh, I think I had a very, I had some poor analysis when I, uh, well, maybe not poor, but immature analysis when I suggested that if you nullify Bradley or if Bradley's not involved, the U.S. doesn't play. I think tonight is a counterpoint to that. Uh, I think Colombia supported that, but tonight is a counterpoint because I don't think Bradley was really involved much at all, and yet uh, the U.S. had a really good performance. So has Klinsman been able to take the focus out of Bradley and m- reduced his role to less of a creator and allowed the likes of Jermaine Jones to express themselves as we've been talking about? I think it depends on the opponent. Um, if we use Costa Rica as the example, you look at, I think it's the second goal, there's a, there's a turnover very high up on the field. Mm-hmm. I, I can't picture a team like Argentina making that mistake. I can't picture an elite level team making that kind of mistake, playing with that much space in front of the centre-backs. And the defense, which Costa Rica unfortunately to did. To be fair, Argentina has Marcos Rojo, so it, it would probably happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like a true Man United fan. Um, I, I think, again, I think the elite clubs, they don't allow that kind of space. Now, that's the kind of space that Jermaine Johnson likes to play and likes to run into. Those are the games where you give the ball to someone like Michael Bradley and say, okay, pick spots for us, um, pick opportunities, pick spaces to, to put the ball in. So in that sense, I think you'll you'll find a much clearer answer to that when they play one of the teams that's maybe favourite for this competition and then show a, a diversity and a versatility in their tactical approach. Because at the minute, again, it's it's difficult with tournament football because the sample size is so small. You've got mm-hmm. two games to evaluate on, albeit against very different opponents. I think if you're looking for that silver lining, though, you do make a valid point in that they showed a versatility tonight in the way they could attack. I think it needs to just be validated with a, a performance against a, an elite level team. All right, guys, I, I think we'll stop this conversation if here for now in terms of the U.S. Men's National Team because uh, uh, Karthik and you guys will be talking about them previewing on Friday and uh, the review will be on Saturday. The U.S. are in a good position. If they can get a draw, they will go through uh, as long as Costa Rica doesn't beat Colombia by, I don't know, six or seven goals. Um Having said that, uh, one thing I will mention is that uh, if Costa Rica are to beat Colombia, which I don't think they will, they have to make sure they fix that midfield issue because Celso Borges in particular really struggled today in the middle of the park. And at multiple times, I felt that the U.S. men's national team midfield was running unopposed into uh, the box. So, yeah, that was an issue. Guys, let's do previews. One, let's talk about uh, Ecuador-Peru first. Um mm-hmm. Let's talk about the fact that, for me, Ecuador, I think we'll all agree, Ecuador are favorites, and the focus will be the two Valencias, Enner and Antonio, from my perspective. Mm-hmm. I First of all, I want to know who the, who the physio for Ecuador is or the witch doctor <laughs> that still has Enner Valencia's knee together. Uh, I, I, that's, <laughs> and that's and what can I he to... go to Arsenal to fix the problems there? 
No, Arsenal's beyond fixing. So. <laughs> I Not agree. So I mean, I mean, I mean, you you can bring in all of Leicester, you can bring in Enter Valencia, you can bring in whoever you want, and and that's still not going to get fixed. I mean, you know, you got a collective mentality that with the with the firmness of Jello. So you're not, you know, that's just a culture at Arsenal that's that's evolved in the past decade. So, you know, you know I think I think many Arsenal fans are still under the illusion that the Invincibles are going to walk in and kind of save save the day. So no, that's not going to happen. Right. So, yeah. So talk to me about Ecuador and Peru. Um, I mean, Ecuador, again, a, a team that, that uh, justfully or unjustfully uh, got robbed of, of two points. Uh, whether that ball crossed the line or not, well, that's no longer an issue. But still, a team that really gave Brazil a really hard time, a team that really gave Brazil fits, especially after those first 20, 25, 30 minutes when Brazil was really trying to create and all of a sudden lost um, their north and their compass, I guess, if you will. Um, I think that if you start looking at these two teams, a very young Peru side against a very hungry Ecuador side, it, probably Ecuador would come out, come out on top. There's, a, there's still a lot to be proven by this Peruvian side, but then there's still that needs to, a lot more that needs to be established by Ecuador as they've really struggled in Copa America. They want to be able to get that, get rid of that. Gustavo Quinteros the other day was talking right. about that and trying to get that hex over with and trying to advance to the, to the next round. Anything to add to that? For, uh, the, the big question for me, I guess, uh, is uh, we, we've talked about the, the issues with uh, alt- uh, altitude and stuff like that, but Ecuador are far favorites, and I think they'll be the next one, probably the next ones to go through along with Brazil, right, in this group? Mm, I, I like Ecuador. Um, there's a, a real energy about them. I mean, we watch them against Brazil now. Of course, Brazil have their own issues. There are many people who will talk to you about them and, and the situation with Dunga. I, I did think that even with that, Ecuador were able to put together some nice stuff. There was some decent moves. There was some slick movement. Um, and and I, I, I think, again... In that squad, there's enough to cause problems. There's enough athleticism and energy because I think if you look at football in, in the wider picture, it is kind of going back to now about having that athleticism, being able to, to thrive in a one-on-one situation. Um, I've seen some, some prominent coaches in England talk about the need for their young players to be able to do that at the academy level. Mm. And credit to them, Ecuador can do that. Um, and I, I think you're completely right. I think they will qualify. And actually, funny enough, while he's not involved in football, I was chatting with my, my brother about this today, my younger brother, and, and he kind of agreed that we can both see Ecuador having a decent run in this competition if the stars align for them right. So why did he say that, if he's not watching football? Uh, he, I said he didn't work in football, sorry. He's... Oh, okay. Gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> I was like, that's the most random thing. Hey, I don't really watch football, but that Ecuador team, <laughs> I think they're going <laughs> that would be hilarious. So Juan, uh, let's talk about Brazil and Haiti. Uh, the, I mean, obviously, even with this this strange-looking Brazilian team, when you have the likes of Coutinho and William, I cannot see a way that this Haiti team, full of mostly players from my beloved NASL, uh, there's no way they can really nullify that level of uh, player and that, that, that um, interchange of that forward line. Oh, don't worry, but Brazil will figure out a way to do that. They, they'll, they'll figure something out. Don't worry about it. Dunga's been an expert at that for for past couple of months, as, as or past couple of years, as 
as coach of Brazil. Um, it was interesting. I mean, a very interesting press conference today by Dunga as uh, he happened to you know talk about how, how the team is is finding its way, played a great game. I mean, he sounded he sound like Jurgen Klinsmann. Against <laughs> after the Columbia press uh, mm-hmm. after the Columbia match, he sounded like Jurgen Klinsmann before the match today, when he said um, when he said uh, that, that that the U.S. played great against Columbia and um, they lost out of just you know sheer luck. Um, so, but but it was it was interesting to hear him say say that. But then that Brazil that the team collectively starting to find their way, finding the 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 resources and the ability to be able to. To overcome negative situations, and then happen to throw a little job in there at MLS uh, regarding Kaká not being there because MLS apparently doesn't train properly. MLS teams don't know how to train. So, uh, you know, <laughs> a couple of words here, a couple of words there. I mean, I'm just paraphrasing, but I mean that was the gist of what what he threw out there as far as uh, it was concerned. But overall, Brazil have some major issues, and it's still William and Felipe Coutinho. Ugh, I mean, yeah, but there's still other gaps that need to be filled. I mean, you you have some interesting players on this Brazil side. Even Gabi Gol as well could be an interesting one. He could come off the bench, but still, you know what? This team's all about Neymar because he is that different player for Brazil. Actually, not even different. He's the only player for Brazil right now. Juan, just out of curiosity, do you, do you think his presence at the games, is that disruptive at all, to, to have him in the stands like that? I, I don't see why why it should be. I mean, cause, you know, I mean, they don't expect him to play. They know he's not going to play. Uh, but it could be a distraction for the fans. It could be a distraction for the media. I mean, people cared more about what him and Justin Bieber were, were, were <laughs> posting on social media. I mean, the match was that bad. But uh, still, we've seen Brazil, without Neymar, be able to get good results in World Cup qualifying. They were able to beat Venezuela in, in Copa America last year without Neymar. So, I mean, they've been able to do it without him. But can they do it on a consistent basis? That's the bigger question. And I think that's when you start seeing some of the deficiencies of Brazil's play and how they move the ball around and how they become so predictable. And, and there's really not that number nine in the area that can really solve a situation on an individual basis. So you do see those problems emerge uh, on in certain situations you don't see them uh, really create on a consistent basis that's the big problem with Brazil they can be one off or maybe two matches without him but when it starts going into three four what's going to happen there yeah I think that's a good point Uh, the issue with Brazil right now is structure as opposed to uh, individual brilliance which they continue to have and we'll be back tomorrow gentlemen to talk about those two games as well as previewing the Uruguay Venezuela and Mexico Jamaica games and joining me to do that will be Robert Hay and Sam Kelly. Uh, so until then, on behalf of everyone here at World Soccer Talk, on behalf of Kristen Henaj, Juan Arango, and myself, Nipun Chopra, I bid you to enjoy your football. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.